0: For over six years, The Past and the Curious has been winning fans, sharing stories of real people from the past, and making people smile. I'm Mick Sullivan, author of I See Lincoln's Underpants, which is a book about, well, famous people's underwear. You'll find all of those stories and much, much more in the 100 plus episodes of The Past and the Curious that are currently available. Find it in all the usual podcast places. The Past and the Curious with Mick Sullivan! That's me.
1: Soundsington Media!
2: Hey Brian, what is space?
3: Good question, Meredith. You know, I've always wondered what's up there in the night sky?
2: Yeah, and also, is Pluto a planet? Today
3: on Reach, we'll answer these questions and more when we talk to a very special guest whose job it is to study astronomical objects.
2: And who knows, we might even get a chance to speak with our very own home planet. I'm Brian Holden. And I'm Meredith Stepien. And this is Reach, a space podcast for kids. To our first episode of Reach, a space podcast for kids. We're going to touch on so many exciting topics this season, from answering questions like whatever happened to Pluto, to how do you become an astronaut, and even some of the more important questions like how do you actually live in space, and what are the ethics of space exploration.
3: And if we're going to be talking about space on this show, first we need to know what space is. So we asked some of our friends to help by asking the simple question, what is space? To me, space is a place or a thing that is full of infinite possibilities. And it's sort of this area that's just beyond our reach, at least most of it is. And it represents how much we have to learn about the universe and ourselves.
2: When I think of space, I think of that feeling I get when I lay on the grass and I look up at the starry sky, and I think, whoa, that goes on forever.
3: Here's what our listeners said when we asked the question, what is space?
1: In space, there is a lot of planets and probably a bunch more that we don't know yet. (laughs) Space
2: is a place that's not on Earth. A place that's above the clouds. (laughs) Space contains many different things. Planets, stars, galaxies, including the Milky Way. Technically,
1: we're in space, but we might not be the only people in space,
2: so there might be other life forms. So many great answers and ideas. And this week, we were lucky enough to talk with a real-life expert working in the field of astronomy to help us learn more about space.
3: This week, we're thrilled to be joined by Aaron Geller, who's an astronomer at the Adler Planetarium and Northwestern University. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us on REACH. Before we get started, can you tell us a bit about what you do?
0: Well, for my job, I'm an astronomer, and I work at the Adler Planetarium and also Northwestern University. I should say I'm also a father with two young kids and I love spending time with them. So, you know, get the whole person in there. So for my job, I study stars and planets. And that means that I sometimes spend time at telescopes or I work with images and photos from telescopes. And I use computers a lot to uh, explore those images. I also make my own images and movies and websites and different ways to explore and explain space. And I talk with kids and I talk with adults about space as part of what the work I do at the Adler Planetarium. I also work with college students and high school students and help them research and learn about space. You answered this a little bit already, I think, but
4: let's get a more in-depth answer of what does an astronomer do or what do you
0: as an astronomer do? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, An astronomer is someone who's interested in studying space. And astronomers like me and and like other astronomers, we spend time looking out of telescopes. So like, for instance, sometimes I've traveled to telescopes in Arizona or telescopes in Chile, Um, but there's telescopes all around the world that people travel to, to look at objects in space. Like for instance, stars and planets, that's what I'm most interested in. Um, But we also use computers a lot. So being an astronomer usually means that you're very good at working with computers. And we use these computers to study these images and pictures that we take from telescopes. Uh, It's actually really amazing what kind of information you can get just from an image of an object in space. So, for instance, you could learn how fast an object is moving in the sky or how far away it is or what kind of materials make up that object just from, you know, looking at images and, and different data that you get from telescopes. Many astronomers also will work with computers to create computer-based models and simulations of these things that are in space so we can understand, for instance, how they change in time, like how they change over millions and billions of years. I Also, I, I read somewhere that uh, astronomers are time travelers because some of the objects in space that we observe, they're so far away uh, that we're seeing the light they emitted billions of years ago. It's only reaching us now. Um, and, you know, though that's a, that's a very romantic turn of phrase, it's also true. It is true. That was
4: one of my favorite things about working at the planetarium, was communicating that information to, to guests. You know, like the light we're seeing from this star is 400 years old. So it's okay. got a whole, it's got centuries of history that we have not even seen yet.
0: I know, it is absolutely fascinating. It's kind of mind-blowing when you really think about it. How do you become an astronomer? Anyone who is passionate about space can become an astronomer. So I want to say that right up front. If you want to become a professional astronomer, that starts at school where we learn about things like the scientific method, how to investigate big questions about our universe. And professional astronomers continue on to get their PhDs, so that's a, that's a lot of schooling and it's a lot of fun. Um, so we're doctors, but not the kind that save lives. But uh, During school and afterwards, you know, astronomers develop their own new questions and hypotheses about space. And we figure out the best ways that we can test these hypotheses with telescopes and computers, like I was just describing. Um, But I just I want to kind of be clear. You don't have to be a professional astronomer to start learning about space and asking big questions. So like everyone who's listening, you can get involved now. You can if you're interested, you know, you can do it. You don't you don't have to wait and go through all the school to to start.
4: How would someone who hasn't got their space doctor degree,
0: their PhD, how can they engage in astronomy right now? So I've got a few recommendations for you. And the first one is just simply look up at the sky at night. You know, not everybody does this. And I know a lot of people, you know, you need to go to bed, right? You can't be up all hours of the night, but maybe on a special night, you know, maybe when there is a new moon, meaning that the moon is going to not be in the sky at night, so it's very dark. You can go outside and, and maybe with your parents and look up and just see what you see. Or maybe even on a night when there is a big moon, go out there and actually look at the moon. Okay, so go up there and ma- go outside, look up at the sky. That might give you some questions. There's great books. Maybe you want to read some books. Um, and, you know, start asking questions. And one, actually, as long as we're talking about this, let me make a plug. One of the great ways that everyone can get involved in, in astronomy or really almost any science is through a website that is called Zooniverse. That is a place where scientists and, and researchers connect with the public, with kids, with adults, with people of all ages, to help really make research possible. So for instance, there might be lots of telescope images of galaxies, like millions of images of galaxies that the astronomers cannot look at themselves, but someone needs to look at them to understand what's going on. And so they get put on this website, Zooniverse, And everybody can go, including all of you listening, can go and look at those images and help the astronomers figure out all the mysteries about these galaxies. Yes, the astronomers need your help.
4: All right, well, let's zoom out a little bit. Let's ask a common question that we get all the time. What is space? Can you help us define what space really is? I can
0: try. Space is the stuff in between stars and planets. Let's start there. So like, for instance, if you were able to fly high enough off of the Earth's surface, like maybe on top of a powerful rocket, you will reach space. And if you look up at night and you see the stars, you see the moon, or you see, um, you know, the International Space Station, maybe you're really lucky. You see that little point of light moving across the sky. You're looking at objects in space. So you, you can actually, it's kind of fun, you can think of Earth itself as a giant spaceship that we are all riding on and flying through space. It's taking us around the sun once every year. And that earth and our sun is all moving through our galaxy. So let me actually, let me back up just a a minute because I gave a lot of terms. I think it's always good to kind of define these terms. So I talked about planets and stars and galaxy. uh, And I know that many of the listeners may not know exactly what all these things are. So sometimes it's helpful to think a little bit about, a little bit about the size of things to understand all these terms. So we live on a planet, that planet is called Earth, and that Earth is, you know, our planet is moving through space, it's orbiting around a star, which we, in our star we call the sun, and that star, our sun, is actually like a hundred times larger in diameter than the size of the Earth, so it's really, really big. It looks small in the sky to us. Although, you know, don't ever look directly at the sun. (laughs) But you know that it's—it looks kind of small in the sky. It doesn't look much bigger than the Earth, but it looks small because it's really far away. Uh, But our sun is just one of billions of other stars that make up our galaxy. Our galaxy, we call the Milky Way. You've probably seen other stars in the night sky. They look like really small little points of light, but they're actually—if you got right up next to them—they're the same size are even bigger than our sun they're just really really far away from the earth and if you're lucky enough to live somewhere really dark then at night you may have seen even a band of many many stars stretching across the sky that's our galaxy that's the milky way that you get to see if you're really lucky you know many people in chicago and where i'm from really don't get to see this at night because there's a lot of lights around the city but if you go somewhere really far away from the city you can actually see that band of light That is the Milky Way. The Milky Way is actually a huge, much, much bigger than our solar system. And even so, our galaxy, the Milky Way, is just one of billions of galaxies that make up our gigantic universe.
4: And space includes all of that. It includes the planets, the stars. It includes our Milky Way galaxy and other galaxies. That's
0: right. I mean, space is filled with all these objects, all these big objects, You know, it's also filled with small things like atoms, molecules, dust, even mysterious stuff like dark matter. My personal favorite, of course, are the stars and planets. That's what I study. So when we look up into the night sky, what are we really seeing? Yeah, so there are a lot of things you can see in the night sky if you spend the time to look. How about I talk a little bit about the moon? Because that's something that everybody can see, no matter where you are, if you go out at the right time of night, you can see the moon. And I bet that most people listening have seen the moon, but I wonder how carefully you've looked at the moon, right? There are craters on the surface of the moon. Have you ever seen those? These are little dark spots that you might see, circular kind of dark spots. And these craters were caused a long time ago when smaller rocks and asteroids slammed into the moon's surface. And the moon is actually a really amazing thing that you can look at through a backyard telescope, so I'd really encourage you to do that. It's, it's a great way to get started. Understanding kind of what's in the night sky, but you know, if the moon is not enough for you, like look up at some of the stars. You may so for us in the northern hemisphere on Earth, you can see, for instance, the constellation of the Big Dipper. And so, when you if you see that, you look up in the sky, you are looking at stars that are about about a hundred light years away from us. This is kind of like what you were saying, Brian. These are stars that that the light that you're seeing from them is 100 years old you're basically looking back in time i want to
4: hit on something you said you said for us in the northern hemisphere so does that mean that the
0: way you view the sky changes depending on where you live absolutely so there are things that we see in the like if you live in chicago or you live in the northern hemisphere of earth we see things that people that live in the southern hemisphere so like australia for instance uh they do not see and the opposite is true so for instance, um, in Australia and anywhere in the Southern Hemisphere, you can see two really beautiful other galaxies that are actually kind of large in the sky. They're called the, the large and small Magellanic Clouds. They're nearby galaxies to us. They have kind of an irregular shape, but they're kind of fuzzy, bright objects in the sky that we in Chicago, we don't get to see those. But if you you know travel down to the south, you can. How big is space. So space is huge. It's covering basically everything that we know about. Well, it's covering everything that we know about in the universe. We kind of think of space as, like I was saying, it's like the stuff in between the bright things that we see outside, like stars and planets in the night sky. And uh, the interesting thing, one of the interesting things about space is that it's pretty much constantly expanding. So it's constantly getting bigger and bigger. It's a little hard to say, like, how big is our universe because it's constantly getting bigger. At least that's the way we understand it now. But what do what do you mean when you say space is getting bigger? Maybe let me take you all the way back to the beginning here. Our current understanding is that the universe began with something called the Big Bang. You may have heard of this before. And this was at the start. Everything in our universe that we know of today was all really compact, really tightly packed together. And it didn't look anything like it does today. It was basically little atoms and the little pieces that make up atoms all packed together. And then something happened that sparked this big bang uh, where everything basically began moving away from each other. And we still see that movement today. So when we look out at distant galaxies, for instance, those distant galaxies are all moving very quickly away from the earth. So you could say that the space between galaxies is always expanding. That's one way that you could say it. Uh, and so that's one way that we know about it, is that all these galaxies, distant galaxies, when we look out, they're all moving away from us. It's actually, this is kind of a, an interesting thing to think about. You could say that we're in a special time for studying space because everything's moving away from us. Everything's get far, getting farther and farther away from us. If you kind of fast forward billions and billions of years, If that's still true billions and billions of years from now, the galaxies that are so distant to us today will have moved so far away from us that we won't even be able to see them. So we wouldn't even be able to learn the things that we know today about those distant galaxies and the early stages of the universe. So like some civilization that's born billions of years from now and might not have our history might have a totally different understanding of the universe and of astronomy than we do. Wow. I've never heard it put that way
4: before. And that's so cool is that the things that we're learning right now, only we can learn. And so it makes it very important that we learn as much as we can and, and set it down for people that are going to be learning things in the future. So they can know the things that they, that they have no way of knowing.
0: That's Uh, absolutely right. Yeah. That's, that is an amazing thing to think about. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's part of why it's so fun to be a scientist and be an astronomer is because you get to investigate these questions. You get to contribute to the discoveries that are happening now. And you get to keep a record of that for the next generation, the generation after that, so they can build on our knowledge. Let me ask a few other questions before we wrap up here. First of all, is Pluto a planet? That is a great question. And we get asked that. I get asked that a lot. And that, you know, astronomers do. So the formal answer is no. Pluto is not a planet. Ooh. Yes, I know. It's a, <laughs> it's a controversial topic. But uh, instead, we call it a dwarf planet. When I was growing up, we still called Pluto a planet. And, you know, I like Pluto. But with more sensitive observations that we have now of the outer part of our solar system, we've learned that there are actually a bunch of dwarf planets that are similar in size and orbit to Pluto. So Pluto is actually not unique. It has not been able to clear out all these dwarf planets and asteroids and rocks that are in its orbit. On the other hand, Earth and all the other planets in our solar system have been able to do that. And so that's one distinction that, that makes Pluto not Get the term planet anymore. So basically astronomers decided to change how we talk about Pluto to make things a little simpler and how we catalog all these other new Pluto-like objects, dwarf planets in the outer solar system. But I don't want to leave it just at that because Pluto is actually really fascinating. There was a satellite that flew by Pluto a few years ago, it was called New Horizons, and it took the most detailed pictures we've ever seen of Pluto And I remember when I was a kid and learning about Pluto, like the best pictures we had were essentially like a fuzzy little circle on the sky. And now we have pictures that show craters on the surface and actually some strange smooth regions on the surface as if there were like liquid oceans or volcanic activity or something like that that could erase the craters. And that's strange because we don't expect liquid water or volcanic activity on Pluto. And we also learned that Pluto has an atmosphere and that's also surprising because Pluto's actually very small and, and it's hard to hold on to an atmosphere for a small planet. Uh, but what's even cooler about this is that Pluto is one of the only four bodies in our solar system that has an atmosphere with nitrogen. And you know, some of you listeners might know this, but the others are there are two moons around other planets, and the other object is Earth. Really? Yes. So Pluto is a kindred spirit in that way. Yeah, you know, I mean the more we study about Pluto, the more we get interested in all the great and cool things about Pluto. And you know, the same is true about all the planets. You say that you like to study planets
4: and stars, but to put it very simply or to ask very simply, but how can you study planets and stars without going to them? And
0: that's the beauty of modern telescopes and also the beauty of computers for that matter. So you can study Lots of things that are so far away. I mean, we've learned a lot about um, even objects in our solar system that we haven't been able to travel to because we've been able to look at them with telescopes. But to look even further, you know, we at this point with our technology cannot hope to travel to another star, but we can look at them with telescopes and we can use those telescopes, we can use those images that we get to study, for instance, what are the molecules on the outside of the star or does this star that we look at with our eye and we actually see it in the sky, it looks like one little point of light in the sky. But when we look at it with the telescope, we might see, hey, it actually has a companion, a second star. Or maybe it's three stars. Maybe one of those stars actually has a planet around it. And some of the ways that we can see this is maybe by kind of the wobble that the stars kind of pull on each other. We can see it on the motion of the stars. Or we can maybe see when a star or a planet passes in front of each other with respect to our line of sight to it from the Earth, we can see that the light dims a little bit. So we can use these images and we can watch these stars over time and we can study them and we can understand kind of, do they have families? You know, do the stars live together? Do Are there many planets around the star that looks kind of like our solar system or does it look very different from our solar system? And it turns out that actually there are you know, like I said, there are billions of stars in our galaxy. Many of those stars have planets around them. Some of those planets are kind of similar to Earth. But in general, those solar systems, those exoplanet systems, if you want to use the term, around other stars look really different from our solar system. So there's a really kind of diverse group of planets that are out there. And we're only beginning to understand them. And this is really some of the exciting time right now. This is some of the exciting things that you know, you all could get involved in and in studying all these new planets that were discovering. Aaron, thanks
3: again so much for joining us on REACH.
2: Brian, since we're going to be talking so much about space and things that are super far away, we might want to first get to know our own home planet.
3: Good call.
2: Did you know that scientists have calculated that the Earth is about 4.54 billion years old?
3: That's right. And about 71% of the Earth is covered in water, mostly by oceans, lakes, and rivers. The remaining 29% is covered by land.
2: And we have a surprise for you all. This week on Reach, we are lucky to be joined by Planet Earth for a segment we call, Did You Know?
3: Planet Earth, thanks so much for joining us on Reach. If you have a minute, and I'm guessing you do, We'd love to hear some facts about our home planet.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Did you know that my name, Earth, is a Germanic word meaning the ground? Or that I'm the largest of the four planets closest to the sun? All of us are made of rock and metal. And I'm the only place we know of, so far, that's inhabited by living things. <sighs> living things. And the only place with liquid water on the surface. So refreshing.
3: Wow, that's fascinating. So, Meredith and I love so many things about our planet.
2: I love the snacks.
3: But we're interested in what you love. What are your favorite things about Earth?
4: Or, you?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. Probably all of the living things that call me home. You know, I tried counting all of them a few different times. But it's really hard, because life keeps evolving, which means new species are being created. But then, the other side of that is extinction. It's really sad to watch the last of a species disappear forever. And lately, that's been happening more and more. But sometimes, I hear these creatures called humans talking about extinction. And a lot of them want to save their fellow living things from extinction. And the smaller humans, I've heard them called kids, some of them really care about me and the things living on me. And that makes me really happy.
3: Truly enlightening. Gotta be honest, Meredith, I never thought we'd actually talk to the actual Earth. I mean, I know we live here, but this is awesome.
2: Planet Earth, thanks so much for joining us this week on Did You Know? Anytime.
1: And thanks for having me. If you ever want to have me back on the show, well, you know where to find me.
3: So, as we start to define what space really is, This week's activity and resources come to us from the great Aaron Geller, who spoke a few minutes ago. Check out our show notes for the history of the Pleiades star cluster, information about asteroids and meteorites, and an interactive exoplanet adventure.
2: And for all you emerging scientists and space explorers, we have a homework assignment for you. Homework? Kind of like an art project. Take a few minutes this week, create a drawing of our home planet Earth, and send it to us via email at... Reach the podcast at gmail.com or tag us on Twitter or Instagram at Reach the Podcast.
3: I'm going to draw the earth on a motorcycle.
2: Okay, Brian. So, next week we have something cool in store.
3: That's right. Along with our main episodes of Reach, we'll be sharing shorter episode segments called Reaching Out where we'll be answering your questions about anything relating to space.
2: So if you have a question that we didn't get to, get your parents' permission and give us a call at 312-248-3402. All you have to do is leave us a message with your first name, where you're from, and your question for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode.
3: We can also accept your questions via email. Just send us your first name, where you're from, and what question you'd like answered? To reach the podcast at gmail.com. Speaking of emails, Meredith, did you get my email from last week? I did. So, are you
4: going to respond?
2: Potentially. Before we say goodbye, let's review some things we learned. I learned that space is getting bigger and bigger and it's already huge.
3: It's that the way we view the stars right now is unique to us, the people of 2020. We need to pass down our knowledge to future generations who may not be able to see things the way that we do now.
2: Also, our guests made a lot of great recommendations for online resources, which are also available in our show notes. We want to acknowledge that not everyone has access to computers or the Internet. And if you're unable to get online, did you know that many local libraries have publicly available Internet access? It's true. Thanks for joining us for Reach, a space podcast for kids. We're your hosts, Meredith Stepien
3: and Brian Holden. This episode of Reach was written by Sandy Marshall with Nate Defort, Meredith Stepien, and Brian Holden. Reach is produced by Sandy Marshall and Nate Defort, and edited by Nate Defort.
2: Our theme song and additional music was composed by Jesse Case.
3: Our logo was created by Stephen Lyons.
2: And we'd like to offer a very special thanks to Aaron Geller, astronomer at the Adler Planetarium and Northwestern University. For more information on Aaron's work, please visit the link in our show notes.
3: Planet Earth was played by the amazing Danya Ramos, who's the series creator and head writer of Time Storm by Tazo Media and tracks from PRX. Check it out at www.cocotazomedia.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And a big thanks this week to our Reach Learning Community for the excellent questions and thought starters, Fly and Bella. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to tell your friends and leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice or share an episode on social media.
3: Speaking of social media, you can find Reach on Twitter and Instagram at ReachThePodcast or on our website at www.ReachThePodcast.com. Follow us for a peek behind the scenes and updates on the show.
2: Reach is a production of Soundsington Media, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com.